Is there a witch in the woods? A curse on your camp? A haunting in your home? It's time to find out. Welcome to the Cower Hour. I'm your host, Briar. I'm your co-host, Nora. And this week we've watched The Witch, a New England folktale. as it is on a lot of the posters, the vvitch. The vvitch. The ten itch. The five five itch. The many itches. The... That's kind of a, a bad title, maybe. Do we have anything we need to cover before I jump directly into this very long summary that I've written? Uh... No? I was offered a correction on something that I said in our previous episode, with the caveat Ooh. that it would contain spoilers for the Friday the 13th franchise, and I turned that offer down. That's probably so. wise, because we are going to watch those movies. We're also going to be very invested in the lore and unfolding narrative of Friday the 13th. Yes, we will be restarting the Friday the 13th fandom. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I don't think I have anything to add up front, so I'll let you take it away. Okay, I'm going to jump right in here. Obviously, if you watched the movie, this is probably an unneeded recap, but for those who haven't, uh, I hope I have covered everything that needs to be covered. So, we begin at a town courthouse, as William and his family are on trial for some unknown religious dispute. Uh, I missed the year here, but it's like... It's like colonial times, mm-hmm. right? Yes, um, it's. I'm, I'm good at history. 1630. Damn, that's a long time ago. Uh, so, on the behalf of his family, William stubbornly accepts the court's judgment, which is banishment from the plantation that they all live on. Uh, Thomasin, the the family's daughter, lingers as the others leave, clearly spooked by the events of the day. The family leaves the town with their belongings in a wagon, setting off into the countryside alone. Ominous strings wail as they head off into the forest and camp there through the night, nothing but darkness and trees around them. 
It definitely sets this leading up as like incredibly sinister from the get go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I read about the the music in this movie, which I will mention here, was that they they aimed for it to be tense and dissonant, and I uh, I think they they nailed that. Oh, probably. definitely. Um, most of the music in this movie feels like I'm being wailed at by ghosts. <laughs> that seems accurate. Yeah. Uh, so, the strings cut out as we jump to William leading the family in thankful prayer at a clearing, which becomes the site of their new family home and farm. Thomason repents her many sins as the rest of the family works and cares for their newborn Samuel. Thomason carries Samuel off to play peekaboo away from the houses, when he suddenly disappears, bus- bushes rustling at the forest's edge. We see a figure carrying Samuel through the forest, taking him home and laying him down. A knife is raised to the baby's stomach. The witch, naked, grinds him up to make an ointment, which she smears on herself and her broom before floating off into the night. The witch. Here she is. The titular witch. The the titty witch. She is nude. <laughs> I mean, there is titty in this movie. There do be. As expected, the family is grieving the loss of their, their youngest. Catherine's morning prayers can be heard throughout the house as Caleb awakens to do something, but not before checking out his sister's breasts, the creep. He meets William outside, who says it's time to stop searching for Samuel. Um, I'm assuming this is this must be the next day, right? Something like that, or a couple days. He also mentions that he's been setting traps in the woods for extra food to offset their failing crops. He shows off some of the corn at this point, which is all nasty and... I assume this is just some disease that was common at the time for corn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caleb and the others are forbidden for setting foot in the forest, but William declares that they will conquer this wilderness. Spoilers, they they will not do this. Uh, the folly of the colonizer. The two head off into the forest to check the traps, while Thomason collects water from the river. She kind of stumbles while she's doing this. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be a nudge at something. If it was, I missed it on both look-throughs. Um, I assume it's just to reflect, like, the unease. Yeah. Um, as they're walking through the forest, William quizzes Caleb on his corrupt nature as they move through the woods. Christianity seems fun. Where they relay an empty trap. The two bicker over if Samuel went to hell as he wasn't baptised when he was lost. And William reveals that he traded away Catherine's silver cup to pay for the traps. Meanwhile, Thomason drops an egg while clearing out the chickens, which cracks open to reveal a dead chick. An ill omen, probably. Mm-hmm. William tells Caleb not to speak of anything they've done in the forest to his mother, and the family dog finds a rabbit. It is incredibly menacing. It is a spooky rabbit. Um, I'm of the opinion that most rabbits are spooky, but we will get to that later in the email section. Oh, okay. Um, William tries to shoot the rabbit, but the power powder backfires in his face. Another ill omen, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, the twins, Mercy and Jonas, are chasing a black goat around and singing about Black Philip. They are obviously in league with the devil, but this does not come up for some time. Uh, William and Caleb come home, and William wrestles Black Philip back into the goat pen, but not before being knocked into the mud for his trouble. William stonewalls about his and Caleb's time in the wood, and Caleb lies about going looking for apples to cover for his father. Uh, William, the Supposed devout Christian watches his son lie and then angrily cuts wood rather than talking about it to his family. Uh, Thomason heads over to the river to clean her father's clothes as Caleb shows up to get water and stare at her chest again. Um, 
He does the worst job in the world about hiding this, but plays it off as just being upset, and the two reminisce about their life back in England. I've heard of that place. Yeah, they seem to remember it quite fondly. How times have changed. Uh, Mercy approaches them, declaring herself to be the Witch of the Woods, and declares that she knew a witch stole away Samuel rather than a wolf. Thomasin pretends that she is the witch to scare Mercy, which works perfectly and does not backfire ever at all in this movie. Caleb asks why she would do such a thing, and she deflects, asking instead that he tell her parents of her wickedness rather than pity her. Um, she seems like very self-defeating throughout the early part of this movie, Thomasin mm-hmm. does. Yeah. Um, which I assume is possibly due to, like, blaming herself for the family being take like, moved away from the plantation to some degree. Like, mm-hmm. looking back to how she lingered in the church longer than everyone else. Yeah. Uh, well, courthouse, I assume it was, not the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the family meal that evening, Catherine questions Thomasin about her missing cup, blaming her for its disappearance and asking, did a wolf vanish that too? The mood understandably turns sour, and William declares that they will fast the next day to make up for their sins, instead of admitting what he had done. Thomasin goes outside to bed down the goats, only to find an odd brown rabbit sitting among them. It is the same one from the forest. Upstairs, William tells Catherine to stop being sad and think about God instead. She tells him how he fucked up big time making them leave the plantation, which... yeah. They discuss sending Thomasin off to serve another family, arguing as all the children upstairs listen anxiously. Early the next morning, Caleb awakens to go and check the traps, but Thomason catches him and threatens to tell their parents unless he brings him, her along with him. There's a small catch in the trap, and the pair have another discussion about England as they ride home. However, they spot the same rabbit again and are separated as Caleb chases it away. Caleb wanders through the woods, lost and reciting prayers, before finding the brutally mauled body of the family dog. Meanwhile, Thomason awakens somewhere else in the forest after being thrown from her horse, but manages to run back home alone. We never see what happened to the horse, but I assume it just fled somewhere. Who knows? Maybe it became a witch. Oh, that would be nice. Horse witch. Uh, Caleb chases the rabbit further and stumbles upon a strange hut deep in the forest, from which a beautiful young woman emerges and shows a little bit of leg. Caleb approaches her and she embraces him before reaching back with an old witchy arm and pulling him in violently. You hate to see it. Yes, I do hate to see it. It was a jump scare. So we jump back to the house where Thomasin has returned. She's silent as the parents argue over what to do, and she holds that silence as Catherine begs of her to explain what she was doing with Caleb in the woods. And here William finally reluctantly admits to taking the silver cup and selling it to purchase a trap. He continues admitting that he took Caleb into the woods to see those traps, but Catherine will hear none of it out, accusing him of standing by as Caleb lied for him, breaking God's covenant and losing a second child to the woods. Uh, he grabs her and she strikes him before collapsing, and they pretty quickly reconvene quietly inside the house, as Thomasin offers to bed down the goats again for her mother. Outside in the pouring rain, Caleb stumbles back to the farm in the nude, marks and wounds on his body and face. They take him up to the attic, where they let his blood and offer a prayer. Once again, William angrily cuts wood, rather than discuss things with his family. Uh, the next day in the goat shed, Mercy and Jonas begin to speak with Black Philip, saying he has told them that Thomasin put the devil in Caleb while they were out in the woods, and that she is a witch. Thomasin obviously defends herself before returning to the milking, but instead of milk, blood drips into the pail from the family goat. 
She kicks it aside, terrified, while the twins look on. Back upstairs, Catherine suggests magic and witchcraft are to blame for her son's condition, but William brushes her off. He begins to pack up their things and says that they will be returning to the plantation in the morning. Catherine explains that she wishes she was back home in England, and confesses to feeling weak in her faith. She fears she will never know the love like she felt from God again, and William stands awkwardly by before saying that she will have it in heaven before leaving to check the fields. The family works outside, dealing with what good corn remains, as Mercy sings about Black Philip loudly, ignoring her mother and sister's request for her to stop, before she is suddenly interrupted by a scream from inside the house. They rush upstairs, where Caleb is muttering and wailing to himself about sin, as he is wont to do, and William ends up forcing open his closed and bloody mouth as Caleb spits up a rotten apple. At this point, Mercy and Jonas accuse Thomason of witchcraft. William will have none of it and questions Thomason on her faith. The family begins to pray, but the twins do not join in, claiming that they cannot remember their prayer, both seemingly in pain. Caleb reawakens at this point and begins to speak in unison with the twins as they writhe on the floor. Catherine, William, and Thomason continue to pray with him, and his wailings cease. He ecstatically declares his love for Jesus, shudders, and falls still. Dead. Um, this is a very dramatic scene, naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I could make out like a lot of the dialogue in these scenes, but I kind of can't. Mm-hmm. I, we had subtitles turned on, and I think we caught most of it, but it's hard to keep track um, of everything. Yeah, that was probably the better way to watch this. I did not seem to have subtitles on the, the thing I was watching it on, which I will. I don't think it was that important. Mm-hmm. Um, Catherine shakes him, screaming at Thomason when she approaches, who flees outside in tears. William chases after her to console her, but quickly reveals that he is instead demanding the truth from her, saying that he saw her stop the twins' prayers. She insists that she isn't a witch, but he continues to push redemption on her, already accepting that she has made some sort of covenant with the devil. Uh, Thomason confronts him with his lies and failure to provide for the family. She blames the twins for the family's misfortune, quoting that the adversary oft appears in the form of a he-goat, and has been whispering black magic to Mercy and Jonas. The adversary is my favourite word for the devil. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Yeah, it's it's a pretty good one. Real like it when people go for that. Uh, throughout this, William stutters and fumes, unwilling to believe that the twins are to blame, until Thomason says that she saw no wolf the day Samuel died, but Mercy claimed to have seen a witch in the woods. He furiously drags her back to the farm, where she lays the blame on Mercy and Jonas before her mother. William shouts at the twins, laughing to himself as he yells at them and Catherine for not taking this as seriously as he is. He threatens to kill Jonas before nailing the twins and Thomason into the goat shed declaring that if that old Billy be the devil, I'd have danced with him myself. Uh, he mentions they'll be let out in the morning when they head to the plantation, and to think about their sins. Um, inside the goat shed, Thomason asks the twins if they are witches, and if Black Philip really speaks to them. They ask her back the same, and obviously no one confesses to being a witch. Because why would you? <laughs> uh, Catherine lays down in her son's grave to be close to him one last time. William angrily cuts wood again. But this down breaks down in prayer, confessing to his sins and weaknesses. He asks God to claim him, but redeem his children, sobbing and eating dirt as Thomasin looks on from the goat shed. That night, Catherine awakens to find that her silver cup has been returned, and that Caleb is waiting beside the fire with Samuel. He asks, in hushed tones, if his mother would like to see them more often, while the twins hear something land outside the goat shed and pace around. Caleb offers his mother a book, but she says it can wait until she has nursed Samuel. 
back in the ghost shed, the twins cautiously approach a naked figure hunched over by the white goat, who we recognise as a witch from earlier, and who turns to them and cackles. They back away terrified as Thomason awakes with a start, and we hear a horrific fleshy sound before cutting back to the house, where a crow is perched on Catherine's knee, pecking repeatedly at her breast as she laughs to herself, still caught in an illusion of nursing Samuel. This is like the most, uh, like, condensed action in the movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this obviously isn't the end of the movie, but I feel like this is where most of the build-up was coming to. Yeah, except for the part in just a minute with the goat. Sure. Um, I feel like that had its own independent build-up, though. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, we are directly at that point now. So, the following moment, uh, following morning, William awakens and leaves the house to the site of the goat shed. Dashed to pieces, the torn carcasses of the goats strewn on the floor alongside Thomason. She awakens, looking up at her father, whose gaze drifts from her to the sky, as he is suddenly gored by Black Philip, who celebrates his victory by prancing. Uh, it's great. Look at a good prancing dude. <laughs> uh, spewing blood, William clutches for an axe, but lets go of it to recite scripture instead. He barely gets a few words in before Black Philip slams into him a second time, crushing him against the big stack of cut logs beside the house. Uh, Thomason rises from the goat shed and walks over to inspect the father, but Catherine appears from the house, grabbing at her hair and demanding to know where the twins are. Thomason claims to know nothing, saying something came from the sky for them, but there is blood on her hands. Catherine, at this point, accuses her fully of being a witch, of bewitching her children and seducing William and uh, Caleb before attacking her. She pushes Thomason to the ground, holding her there and striking her, while Thomason continues to declare her love and innocence. She reaches out for anything to defend herself with, and ends up striking her mother with a bladed tool, which I believe was part of the... It was something they cut the corn free right with. I think so. The Wikipedia page calls it a cleaver. That does not look like a cleaver to me. <laughs> um, as she cuts a long wound across her mother's face. Blood drips and spatters onto her clothes as Catherine furiously begins to choke her, and Thomason strikes her again and again, finishing the job. She holds her dying mother close as she struggles for breath, before pushing her aside. Uh, Thomason wanders around the now-silent farm, removing some of her bloody clothes and sitting down to rest. As night falls, she awakens and leaves the house to find Black Philip awaiting her outside the goat shed. He enters, and she follows. She asks him to speak with her as he did with the twins and is ready to leave when he asks what she desires. He offers her the taste of butter, or a pretty dress, and asks, Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? Wouldst thou like to see the world? As it turns out she would, and a book is conjured before her as Black Philip changes from goat to man, and though she cannot change her name, Black Philip offers to guide her hand. We cut abruptly from that to Thomason walking into the forest, Black Philip prancing through the grass behind her, and leading her to a gathering deep in the woods, where she joins with the witches around a fire. She grins and floats off into the night alongside them. The end.
So, Nora, what do you think of this feminist masterpiece? <laughs> oh, this movie is great. Yep, I like it a lot. Um, yeah, I, I love witches. They're cool. Uh, the witch didn't do much in this movie. Uh, I sent the titular yeah. witch earlier, and then I had a question that I was going to say until now, which is, is the titular witch the witch that we see, or is it Thomason? I mean, I think it is that witch, but also the movie, despite being called the witch, isn't super about the witch, right? That's true. It is much more about, like, this family and their internal struggle and, like, self-doubts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, the weird gaslighting this witch is doing to them. Yeah. That very sinister rabbit. That incredibly sinister rabbit, which is the the witch, right? Or some kind of familiar, I would assume. Probably. It's not very clear, but I could see that. Um, I would assume it's a familiar. Rabbits are pretty good familiars. They're alright. I prefer a flying familiar. Hmm. Mm. Uh, there is a note at the end of this movie that much of the dialogue came directly from period pieces mm-hmm. set from around the time, which is yes. interesting. Yeah. It's, it was like, I was thinking while I was watching it that they like were very consistent with their grammar and everything and turns out it was because they like did research and stuff so that's neat yeah i think taking it directly from period pieces really helped it kind of sound authentic but not be too far as things like this often go yeah um and i've already talked about the music being very very tense and dissonant apparently they didn't want any traditional harmonies or melody in the score mm-hmm. which again explains why it sounds like ghosts Screaming at you. It's going to make my job of editing this episode interesting as I try to decide which two pieces of music to use. <laughs> um, it's going to be ten strings, whichever one you pick. That's so, true. Um, I, I also knew there was some kind of like weird glut of feminist takes about this movie, but I mm-hmm. had a brief look on YouTube and it was mostly just videos like explaining the ending, which I feel like... <laughs> yeah, um, may- like... Maybe not needed for this one. One of the first things that I said to Autumn after we watched it was like, oh, I definitely see, like, a feminist thing here, but it's, like, a very surface-level read, and I don't want to, like, stick to that or, like, give that too much weight, because, like, it definitely felt like just taking stuff off the surface of this movie. And we got some questions about the the feminist takes about this movie, for sure. Um I just was yeah. like, I see that at first blush, and it's like, it feels too shallow for me to, like, engage with. I would want to, like, look for more, like, interesting takes than this, because it's just the idea of, like, literally lifting up and, like, leaving patriarchal paradigms behind, like, being lifted up and empowered by, like, community with women is is obviously in there, but I wouldn't want to, like jump to that, you know? Definitely. I mean, I've read interviews with the director, Robert Eggers, about The Lighthouse, and they did refer back to this movie. I think if there is, like, any feminist reader, it is not one that was intended. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that there is any, like, big broad takes about this movie. It is a horror movie about a witch. I read a YouTube comment that ascribed the seven deadly sins to the different characters... Mm, I don't think so. At first blush, it's like, okay, I guess I kind of see what you're 
doing here, but then they gave gluttony to the baby? Ah, famously gluttonous the baby that is in this movie for <laughs> maybe a few minutes. Um, I, I don't want to be the person that is like, oh, all media is just the surface level. Stop digging for anything. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's much to dig for here, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. It is fine for things to just be the thing they are. Sure. And this is like a very specific story of something that is frightening. Yeah. It's like, like the subtitle calls it a New England folktale. And I definitely think that this story thrives if you think of it like a parable that other families are telling to each other or themselves. Definitely. Um, I have stuff to get back to on this, but it is part of the questions. So do you want to jump mm-hmm. to those? Yeah, I'll, I'll pull up some questions. Uh, yeah, questions and emails, I guess. Yeah, I will start with some questions from Traumatized. Do you find the woods to be scary? Uh, yes, but it is not because of this movie. It is because mm-hmm. of what we will be watching next week. Oh, I don't know what we're watching next week. <laughs> uh, yes, you do. We've discussed this. Oh, we discussed it. Oh, whoops. Well, I guess I will announce it at the end of this podcast. All right. <laughs> um... I was in Boy Scouts because I, you know, sometimes you think you're a boy for a while. Um, And so, yeah, woods are scary because I don't like being lost. And also, I don't like going outside generally, even less so when there's nothing around me. So, I mean, I'd say my general thought is, like, if I fall over and hurt myself, um, someone can call, like, an ambulance for me. That would be sick. Can't Mm -hmm. do that in the woods. Can't. They don't drive there. Nope. No roads. Um... Do you like goats? Yeah, goats are pretty cool. Goats are alright. Uh, I think I like the more after this movie. Black Phillip's great. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, I had this thought, uh, and I didn't mm-hmm. run it past you, because I wanted to hit, hit you with it on the podcast, and I don't I think love- it's going to hold up beyond a couple movies, but um, between Friday the 13th and this movie, I had this idea of doing a Funko check to see... Every movie we watched, if there was a Funko Pop, because there is a Black Phillip Funko Pop. I fully support this, and I would love to see the Black Phillip Funko Pop. I will send you an image of the Black Phillip Funko Pop. I must see him. Also, God, do we really live in such a cursed world that the fucking, like, side character from an indie movie gets... Well, not indie movie, but a small production company gets a Funko Pop. I almost posted this image in the Abnormal Mapping music channel, which is not where... This image of a Funko Pop goes. I would be fine. There you go. There's the uh, Black Phillip Funko Pop, complete with Apple. And they did too much here. (laughs) Normally I would accuse Funko Pops of never ever doing it enough, but this is too much. There's a lot of detail here that I didn't expect. He just kind of needed to be a goat. Mm Mm-hmm. But he is instead pictured on his back feet with the Apple, blood all over his horns, Kind of very, very bright yellow eyes for some reason. Yeah, that is bad. This is a this is a zero out of five Funkos on this one. We, well, okay, so they didn't have a Mrs. Voorhees Funko, but they do have lots of Jasons. Ah, that's to be expected. I think everyone has forgotten about Mrs. Voorhees. That's fair. Everyone except Jason. I can give a retroactive rating on Jason. Okay, let me let's see here. I will just send you the standard. Friday the 13th, Jason Voorhees, Funko Pop. I'm ready. Now, that's about what I expected. 
Yeah. He looks very sleepy. He does look sleepy. Uh, there's another one where he has a bag over his head, and then there's a third one where he doesn't have a mask on. Uh, I guess that happens in one of the movies, probably, right? Oh, I found a Michael Myers Funko. Um, I would say too much detail on the mask here. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Aside from that, it's a it's, it's just kind of a Funko. That's that's zero out of five Funkos as usual. Okay, okay. We'll see if we we'll, we get anything getting higher than a zero. Uh, I mean, the joke that will reveal itself here is that I'm never going to give any of them. (laughs) Well, we're two for two on Funko movies. Funko certified movies. This is a real movie because it has a Funko pop. It's like legit. I mean, my feeling is unless we go super obscure, there is not ever going to be a movie with no Funko. Well. Or once we go past like a certain year. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't think we're going to get a Pontypool Funko pop. No idea what Pontypool is, so. We'll get there. (laughs) Do you like rabbits? Uh, no, I think rabbits are spooky. Really? Yes, they always look so anxious. That's true. My sister uh, had a rabbit when we were growing up, and that thing sure did poop and smell. I do hear that about them. Uh, rabbits are fine. Rabbit girls, better, in my opinion. I mean, that's a completely different question. <laughs> Bloodstained came of the year, but... Uh... <laughs> Uh, I never ended up using that crystal. Oh, yeah? Yeah, the way I played Bloodstained was I used the, the flying sword that covers like half the screen, and I, I clicked a lot. <laughs> it's funny because the, the, the uh, bunny morphosis spell actually is very good, and uh, it's kind of broken, and it makes the game very easy because you can just use the jump kick to like bounce on top of bosses and just damage them forever, and it does a lot of damage. It's great. But anyway, um, we talked about the soundtrack already. Uh, did uh-huh. you have any trouble understanding what the characters were saying because of the accents? Ah, uh, no, weird. Me either. I would have expected that I would have more trouble than you would. Uh, probably, yes. I do come from England where a lot of people still have these accents. Mm-hmm. I, d- I did notice the way that you said cup was like one-to-one. <laughs> it just felt very, like, resonant. But yeah, uh... No, I can tell. I can definitely tell that this is a different accent from when Americans usually do English accents or try to. Um, well, it, it was casted in England, which is why. The oh, are accurate. Well, there you go. I just kind of assumed that it was Americans because I'm American. Ah, the folly of Americans. This is the second time on <laughs> this the, podcast, I believe. It's the only folly, folly that Americans have. Um, but yeah, the casting took place in England, as Eggers wanted authentic accents to represent a family newly arrived in Plymouth. Fair enough. And it's courtesy of Wikipedia. It's egg on my face. Um, What did you think about the set design and costume design for this movie? Uh, so I think it looked good. If there was inconsistencies with the time period here, I am absolutely not the person that is going to notice them. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but I think they did a really good job of setting the scene. It felt authentic to me. Definitely. Um... I'm not a person who notices this kind of thing, uh, but I do have an f- interesting little story about it. Oh, I love interesting little stories. My aunt used to work on movies, and she did costume design stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and the one... Uh, she worked on a couple of different movies, but the main... The biggest one that I went to go see because she worked on was called Big Fish. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know Big Fish. I think uh, it's got Obi-Wan in it. I don't think I do. Um... But yeah, I went to that movie to see that movie with my grandma just so that we could see my aunt's uh, name in the credits. That was neat. 
Hell yeah. Love to get credit for things. What do you think about witches in general? Uh, witches are pretty cool. Yeah. I was, what I was thinking about this question originally, I was going to be like, oh, witches are cool, but they're a much more broader thing than people are used to at this point. But they're kind of not. I feel like there is always a constant of like a patron and like powers that are gained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the core of it anyway. Yeah. Witches are great. Uh, would love to be one. Oh, that'd be cool. Then I'd get a cat. I mean, you can get a cat anyway, is the thing. Yeah, but I gotta wait until we move out on our own. And I don't know if we'd settled on naming our cat Alucard or Dave Strider, but it's definitely one of those. I think Alucard is the better name, but Dave Strider is far funnier. <laughs> That's This is what I was saying. <laughs> um, um, even as someone who does not know anything about Homestuck, I can have a good laugh at a cat called Dave Strider. Yeah. <laughs> um... Next question is, what did you think about the color grading in this movie? Um, honestly, I don't know that I noticed it. Yeah, I definitely, like, I noticed it in the sense of, like, I could tell that if you showed me a screenshot of this movie with no characters in it, I could tell you that it was this movie. Um, it, or, like, this whole movie has this vibe of being a perfume commercial, and I don't know how else to describe it, but... Yeah, I absolutely didn't pick up on this. Maybe that's because like I was watching it on a monitor that is for playing video games with very high mm-hmm. frame rates and mm-hmm. not for watching movies with like deep colors or anything. Maybe. Um, I had to mess with my color settings a lot. I just kept thinking of either a perfume commercial or like an album cover. Yeah, but... I'm sure if like someone showed me a comparison or something, I would be able to spot it, but it is not something I noticed in my watches. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like horror movies where there are longer, more lingering shots that have a slower pace to them? Uh, absolutely, right? We're, like, two for two on those, even though Friday the 13th did have bursts of action. Mm-hmm. Um, so Friday the 13th split the difference pretty well between that, I think. Um, yeah. I but... think they both understood the fact that, like, these long, lingering shots are what makes those bursts of action, like, effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, historically, I have seen mostly movies with the, that type of approach, like the the big, the, like the most uh, recognizable, I guess, or like well-known horror movies that I've seen are things like Halloween and The Birds, <laughs> which are both like that. These kinds of shots feel to me like very emblematic of the other A twenty four movies I've seen which is Midsommar and Hereditary, which feel like they were shot in very similar ways. Mm-hmm. There's, like, lots of these low, like, lingering shots at individual things or people's faces. Um, it feels like it has, like, a lot of DNA in, in common with those. Yeah, definitely. I have not seen those movies, but you have talked about this before, and it sounds like I would agree. Yeah, we'll probably get around to those at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, probably Midsummer first because I want to keep as much space between like my last viewing of Hereditary and my next. <laughs> um, um, so you'll note, definitely feel that familiarity. I mun- I did actually have something I wanted to talk about before we started talking about this movie, and I'd forgotten mm-hmm. it until now, which is that two weeks ago or so, Autumn and I went to a midnight showing of Halloween. Uh, maybe you've heard of it. It's called Halloween. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of that one. Haven't uh, seen it though. It's kind of a really fucking awesome movie and one of my favorite movies of all time. 
Um, I was just like, I mentioned it in the last episode as something that I just liked, um, but revisiting it recently, it's just like exponentially grown in my like love for that movie. I just think it's a really fucking good movie, and we had, like, a big 45-minute conversation about it after we saw it that was just in the car, so it wasn't a podcast, and it was really nice to just, like, hang out with my wife and just talk about a movie. Um, but yeah. We should cover that at some point. Halloween's fucking great. <laughs> like, one of my favorite movies. Um, I'm, I, have, yeah. I have now learned. Yeah, we should absolutely cover that at some point, especially starting with Friday the 13th, which I think was, like, made after Halloween, kind of capitalizing uh-huh. on the slasher stuff. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted um, to, like, slip that in, but, uh... Yeah. What do you think of the section of the movie after Thomason kills Catherine? So, there is, like, the bit directly after it where she kind of realizes she is in this farm, like, alone now, and everything is silent. And that feels like a really good moment to me. The rest of it kind of feels unnecessary, a little. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm just, like, a lot cooler with movies, like, ending without kind of more explanation than most people are. But it definitely felt a little bit, um, not, like, tacked on, but... I absolutely could have ended the film after, like, Thomason walks away from her mother's body. I would have been a little disappointed by that, I think. Um, I just, I think that would have left a much more cynical taste in my mouth, but... That's fair. I just feel like all the questions are answered at that point. That's if the goat shed scene is, like, fun. Yeah, and you might call this uh, movie a movie with a... An uplifting ending. Uh, I prefer you didn't. Um, I did uh, go looking for people talking about this movie and didn't really find, like, after we saw this movie, I was talking to Autumn and was like, I don't know that I have anything interesting or smart to say about this movie. I just liked it. And um, turns out a lot of people also didn't have anything smart or interesting to say about this movie, but they did keep talking about it. Um, people do do that. They need to make those videos. I respect the hustle. Yeah, you gotta make that dollar. It is unfortunate that we live this way. Do you think that the witches were real and had actual power in this movie, but Jesus Christ did not have any power in this movie? Uh, it was why do you think that all the witches are real? Oh, I misread the question. Um, my answer here is like, that's not what the movie's about, right? Sure. I'm, I'm sure that in the setting there are people off like praying to God and then it's working for them, but this movie isn't about like that kind of conflict. It is about the creeping influence that this family has been left up to. Mm-hmm. At the start and... of this movie, like William makes the decision to turn his back on the church, and the family's like crises of faith are more important than any kind of actual divine action, I think. And I would say that Jesus Christ does have a lot of power in this movie by the way that it... like. The Christianity looms over this family and, like, influences every action that they take and every thought that they have. Uh, true, yeah. Like, their, their influence more than any, like, weaving of power is what is felt. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's gonna do it for that email. We also got an email from M. Friend of the show. Friend of the show, honestly. Uh, so M writes in, Friends, one of the most striking things to me about The Witch 
is how it takes the old adage of cell phones ruined horror to its logical endpoint. There is an existential horror to just being stuck in the woods a day's ride from anyone with your family, and the wilderness even before the evil stuff shows up. How did anyone survive like life like this? I, I really don't know. The, the idea of just living in a clearing in the forest? Terrifying. Yeah. Uh, even setting aside things like, what do you do with your time other than just work and sleep? Um, uh, these are not questions that I have great answers to. <laughs> Uh, oh, here's uh, there's the question. <laughs> what would you do to spend your time if you lived in a place and time like this? Um, I mean, probably pray and then farm. Um, honestly, probably die. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I would be. I don't think I'd be real good at the whole farming thing. Uh, realistically, I'd like to think I'd have the privilege to know how to read and write, and would maybe do that, but. Mm-hmm. Physical labor is not something I am good at. I mean, actually, like, if we are assuming that I was simply born in that time, I don't know how long I would have lived, because I needed, like, spine surgery as an infant. So, like, who who knows oh. if I would even survive childhood in that yeah, time period? I, I don't <laughs> think they were doing those surgeries back then. I don't think they were. <laughs> so, um... I guess I guess that's now now that I've like realized that that's my like go to answer for what if you were born in a different time I would simply die. <laughs> Think about mine again. Like maybe in this time frame I actually would have been pretty okay at physical labor because I would have had to do it. Mm. Um, so maybe colonial period Briar is real hench and real good at bringing in those crops. Mm-hmm. Um, and second question is what type of pre modernity would you like to live in if you had to. Maybe I should actually read the question from the email and not my notes. Uh, what type of pre-modernity would you live in if you had to pick one? Huh. I think if I had to pick, I bet being a pirate was probably pretty sick. <laughs> They're basically water anarchists, if you think about yeah. it. Yeah. That sounds pretty uh, good to me. Pre-modernity. This is tough because there's a lot of pre-modernity that is really, really bad and I don't want to glorify any of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, dinosaurs. I'd just go back all the way. Oh, that's fair. Capitalism didn't exist then. Yeah, I mean, as far as we know, maybe the dinosaurs had, like, rent. Oh, shit. I really hope they didn't. The Flintstones taught me that actually the past was oh, just no. the same when you think about it. I didn't think about it that way. As a serious answer, I don't know what I would do, except maybe, like... I don't know how to define modernity here. I'm guessing before 1900. Probably, I would... I would say it is maybe, like, our generation and a few before it. It is, like, something that we would recognize as Mm -hmm. modern day. Like, there are shots of Friday the 13th that I, without context, could say, like, oh, that's now. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. And even that still is, like, 50 years ago at its earliest. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, it's it's a lot like picking which big war do I want to die in, right? Yeah, or, like, <laughs> which era would you like to die of disease in? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Which, which flavor of disease would you like to live deliciously in? <laughs> which disease is your favorite <laughs> to die to? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um... Maybe, like, pre, like, 
like what I don't even remember exactly how to phrase like pre pre Britain Britain like the island before ye, ye olde ancient England yeah the Anglo-Saxons were yeah. there at some point just cuz I don't know anything about that time period and it seems kind of neat cuz that's like where a lot of things I like are drawing from like Arthurian stuff sometimes pulls from that that's true thing so I believe the Celts were around at that point. They seemed okay. Sure. Uh, we've. I have not read any history books in five many, minutes many later. Years. We regret to inform you that the Celts were fascists so, or something. Fascist. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the best qu- answer I can come up with. Okay. Yeah, those are tough, but uh, thank you for writing it down. Yeah, uh, we have one more email. I from... will you read this one. Yes, this is from my fiance. Autumn. <clears throat> they say, I'm really fascinated with how this movie portrays magic. I've been reading fantasy novels lately where magic is often just a force one uses willy-nilly. I've been craving media that shows magic in a different way, and it turned out this is exactly what I wanted. This is obvious, but it feels much more like folklore since the witch is tapping into a connection with Satan and other dark forces. I like when magic is mysterious in this way. Do you think that mystery helps this work as a horror movie? Um, so... Um, I'll be honest here, I don't feel like there was much mystery to this movie, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels, in a lot of ways, and this is maybe a useless comparison because you haven't seen it, but it feels similar to Midsommar a lot to me, in that we kind of know what's happening. Mm-hmm. The, the movie here is like watching people fall apart as they try to find other explanations for it. It's a mystery for the characters, Yeah, but we do have the, like privileged perspective of being able to see Thomason's perspective, being able to see uh, Caleb's perspective. Like, we get the whole picture in a way that no other character, no, no one character has. Yeah, like, but. there is one time where witchcraft is brought forward, like, seriously by the adult characters, I guess, before actual evidence is on the scene. And that is, like, Catherine suggesting, oh, witchcraft is to blame here, and William immediately being like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, yeah, there just isn't much mystery to it that way. There is mystery in the sense of, like, unexplored or undefined stuff with, like, what the things the witches are doing are and, like, the paste, the baby paste. Uh, or, I mean, like, I feel what, like the, even that's others, fairly clear, right? Rituals. Like, you kill the baby, mm-hmm. you mash it up, mm-hmm. um... Wow, you can fly now. Thanks, devil. I mean, according to Wikipedia, this is a thing. Uh, a flying ointment. I will click. Yeah, witches, witches be flying. Flying ointment is a hallucinogenic ointment said to have been used by witches in the practice of European witchcraft from at least as early as the early modern period. Ooh, yeah. in German it was Hexensalb. Hell yeah. Cause I probably said that wrong. Uh, it would be Hexensalbe, probably. Ah. Thank you for confirming my wrongness. <laughs> uh, I have I used to speak a lot more German than I do now because I lived there briefly, but uh, I have lost a lot of it, unfortunately. Uh, I did one year of German at school, and then I believe the next year we did Spanish instead. Oh well, which was very, very not helpful or conductive to learning a language. Um, do you think someone could make a horror movie where magic is less defined, like in Harry Potter? 
Um, I guess like a thing to think about here is the pre- is the like importance of rules in horror. Of like, we haven't really had anything that addresses this directly yet. Of like, this is the spick scary thing. This this is how it works. These are the rules that you have to follow or not follow to like deal with or escape the horror. That's a thing that we haven't really addressed because it hasn't come up in either of the two movies that we've seen so far. Yeah, I feel like this is a horror movie where the magic is less defined. Yeah, that's fair. Um, like maybe just they meant like more defined. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think there are also horror movies that work that way and are very like rules-based. But obviously we haven't got to those yet. Thematically, I think there's a lot to chew on in this movie, but right now, having only seen the movie one time, it's hard for me to nail down. My thoughts about what this movie is saying are really vague. I feel like I often need to rewatch movies before I can really understand their themes, especially in ones like this that have so much going on. Are either of you big on rewatching things, or do you prefer to see something just once? I don't rewatch things, generally. Um, and if I do, uh, I put a lot of time between them. The exception being the week in 2011, where over the course of a week, I watched the Lord of the Rings extended cut trilogy four times just to get through all of the different DVD commentaries. Damn, that's a lot of that's <laughs> a lot of time watching one thing. Uh huh. Like it was that for fall break, and then one of my spring breaks, I watched all of Scrubs. Those are the two times that I have like really dug into a thing over a course of a week, but um, generally I don't rewatch things. Uh, or if I do, I, I, I wait a little while. I'm largely in the same boat. I don't usually rewatch things, but when I'm watching stuff for this podcast at least, I watch them twice, and I take the summary the second time. Uh, yes. At some point, I do plan to find a copy of the great comedy movie Barat and watch that many, many times to catch up with a podcast called The Barat Club I've been listening to. Oh. Uh, where they just watch Barra every week and talk about it again. That sounds terrible. Uh, it's great. Good podcast. Bad movie, probably. <laughs> um, Autumn also says, I found myself thinking a lot about the movie Antichrist by Lars von Trier as I was watching this. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that movie, but I think it's very much in conversation with this one. So maybe you should check that out for a movie that's talking about similar themes. Be warned, there are a lot of content warnings with that one, so you should maybe look at that before watching it. I'd offer to give you some, but it's been years since I've seen it, so that would be incomplete. Uh, P.S. Here's a list of a handful of movies I think you should watch, because they're my favorites, with asterisks by the ones I'd like to guest on. (laughs) Um, I haven't seen Antichrist, but I have heard a lot of different things about Lars von Trier and his movies. Uh Uh-huh, yes. All Um, I know about Antichrist is that it was a very impactful movie for autumn and maybe not in a positive way um i've, I've seen content warning lists for lasman trio's movies before like oof mm-hmm. dudes dudes on some on some stuff uh he's on one as they say yeah i would yeah sounds like uh having a real normal one yeah that is that is the thing i was reaching for <laughs> Um, and Autumn has provided a list of recommendations, which anyone listening can also do. And leaving uh, those recommendations, you can leave them at exportaudiopodcast at gmail.com with the subject line Cower Hour. Uh, so far, I think Autumn and Vita are the only people who have given us recs, but uh, we have quite a hefty list now. So feel free to um, send stuff in. 
Yeah, we have plenty to work through at the minute, but we can always have more. Yeah. You know, they do keep making movies. (sighs) They do be doing that. And I think more than one comes out every two weeks, so, like, theoretically, we have an infinite supply of movies ahead of us. Yeah. We also have The Lighthouse soon, I think. I don't know what release differences look like between the UK and the US, but that's pretty soon for me, I think, which is by this director. Uh, well, it is showing tomorrow at 8pm, somewhere. Oh, cool, I'll be right over. Release date October 18th, 2019 for the US, which was uh, four days ago, five days ago? May 19th, that's not right. October 18th, United States, it doesn't say anything about anywhere else. Ah, well maybe I'll look it up and we can maybe make plans to cover that later. Yeah. I remember uh, we went to see something. Oh, autumn! Like we went to see the Joker movie. Uh, oh dear! A couple weeks back, I think I mentioned this on the last episode of this podcast. But every trailer we saw before that movie sounded way better than Joker. And after seeing Joker, I stand by that. Uh, but there was definitely a horror movie in there coming out in like January that I don't remember what it was or what it was about, but it seemed neat and. Uh, um, I wanted to you... talk about it because I wanted to like see it for the podcast, but I don't remember what it was. Uh, I think it would be pretty cool if we could maybe like get stuff as it comes sometimes. Yeah, uh, that sort of live coverage. List of American films of 2020. What do we got here? Okay, well apparently the first one on this list is The Grudge, which okay, a remake, I believe. I saw uh, an advertisement for that today. Um, was it Gretel and Hansel? Yeah, it's a it's a spooky movie about Hansel and Gretel. Uh, weird that they flipped the name order there. I guess they just wanted to differentiate it from Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters or whatever. Oh, maybe. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We just watched a movie called The Witch. That's fair. There's a movie coming out January 10th called Like a Boss. Ah, that's probably not going to be a good movie. No. That's what my senses tell me. Um, now I'm just looking at movies. You know about movies? Uh, I the have other, heard about them. The other thing that I wanted to, to mention because... Um, okay, so I've never seen The Shining... Me neither. Except for the clips of The Shining that show up in the movie Twister. Um, which is very funny if you've seen Twister. Uh, I don't think I've seen Twister, but I have been on the Universal <laughs> Studios Twister ride. Oh. Is that similar? Is there a way? cow? Uh, I think so. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Um, anyway, apparently there is a book that is a sequel to The Shining. Yes. Called Doctor Sleep. And they're make someone's making a Doctor Sleep movie, but it is not a sequel to the Shining movie, because the Shining movie apparently does not include a lot of things from the book. But it is still evoking some of the visuals from the Shining movie. And the result is a very weird looking mixture of things that I really want to see. Also it has Obi-Wan Kenobi in it. So ah. 
weird that they would mash up Star Wars with it at this point. But, you know, I haven't read Doctor Sleep, so... You know, I Disney owns everything now, so... True. We are going to have to get used to these constant crossovers. Yeah. Eventually, yeah. Uh, in the new uh, Friday the 13th movie, they killed Jason with a keyblade. Oh, damn. I was going to say that in that advertisement I saw for the, the Grudge remake, uh, Mickey is in that one. Oh. That's cool. I'm glad he's still getting work, you know? Yeah, I you know, I thought he was on his way out, but it looks like he's still got some still got a few films in him. Uh is this the podcast maybe? I think this is the podcast. Uh do you want to do the outro so that I know what movie we're watching next next month? Yeah, I probably should, shouldn't I? So, unfortunately, time is up for the cow hour. You can join us next time as we watch the Blair Witch Project. Oh, and you right. can always send us questions and thoughts to the email address that Nora will stitch in here because I don't know it. I mentioned it already. Cool. Uh, I'm neither Nora and Zoetics on Twitter. That's Poetics spelled with an X. Uh, and I am at Wergazelle on Twitter. And until next time, good night. Good night.